Welcome. My name is Darren Brogan. I am uh, attempting to start some podcasts here. And uh, today I thought I would begin with uh, a lesson on grace. Now, you know, this is a message that God had given me um, several years ago. And uh, it is, you know, grace is a huge subject. <laughs> And um, has many facets to it. And of course, so in this podcast, we're only going to be discussing one facet. Uh, so don't be, you know, don't think that this is an exhaustive explanation on the subject of grace. Um, there are many theological divisions of the term grace. You have uh, provenient grace, you have common grace. Um, and so today, uh, we're going to be discussing probably what I would consider to be common grace, but, but not just common grace, common grace for the believer. Uh, common grace can be experienced both by the believer and the unbeliever. Uh, but we are going to talk about the work of common grace in the life of the believer, and so let me just begin. I want to read a quote to you from Thomas Akempis. Uh, he was a uh, an Augustinian monk, and he I believe he was Augustinian, um, but he was a, he was a monk. I think of the fourteenth, around the fourteen hundreds, uh, early fourteen hundreds, and he wrote a book called The Imitation of Christ. If you've never read The Imitation of Christ. Uh, it's a fantastic um, devotional. Uh, it's very extreme. And, of course, uh, I don't endorse extremism. I used to have a professor in college that would say to us, um, if you can't see both ends of the extreme, it's because you're standing on one. <laughs> and which means basically, uh, you know, come back into the middle and then you'd be able to see both ends of the extreme and you'd be able to produce, uh, you know, a balance between the two in your life. So, um, Thomas Akempis, The Imitation of Christ, uh, page 95 in the written edition. I willingly, here's the quote from Thomas Akempis, I willingly accept the grace that will make me more humble, more influenced by holy fear, and more ready to renounce myself. Those who are taught by the gift of grace and learn by the shock of its withdrawal will not dare to attribute any good to themselves, but instead will acknowledge that they are spiritually impoverished and vulnerable. Give to God what is God's and attribute to yourself what is yours. That is, thank God for his grace and acknowledge that nothing can be attributed to you except sin and punishment and the punishment it deserves. If we desire to keep the grace of God, let us be thankful when grace is given, patient when it is taken away, prayerful so it will return, and cautious and humble lest we lose it permanently. Uh, those words just, uh, I, I, I've, I love those words. Um, again, extreme, very extreme, but also very profound and very true. And... Um, and if you find the balance, those words are awesome. 
Okay, so let's begin with our, our scripture today is going to be 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 10, and I'm reading in the English Standard Version. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. This is, this is uh, Paul uh, about a, you know, speaking about an experience that he had where Christ appeared to him and spoke to him in, the per in person. And he said to me, and he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How many of us have read this scripture, claimed this scripture, but not really understood this, uh, uh, this scripture to the fullest? Okay, so let's, let's, let's do some word studies here. And I'm going to keep it very simple, very basic. Grace, the word grace. My grace is sufficient for you. Okay, we all know grace is the word charis. And it is, uh, this word is according to a concise dictionary of the words in the Greek, New Te uh, Greek Testament and the Hebrew Bible. Um, graciousness as gratifying of manner or act, um, literally, figuratively, or spiritually. Especially, here we go, especially the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life, including gratitude. And then uh, lastly, acceptable, benefit, favor, gift, grace, joy, liberty, pleasure, thank, worthy, worthiness. Okay. So let's just uh, read grace. Let's just redefine that the, where we're really throwing our emphasis. Uh, the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. Okay. So keep that in mind. We're going to define a few words here. Sufficient. This is the word archaeo. Uh, let's see here. Again, concise dictionary of words in the Greek Testament and the Hebrew Bible. Properly to ward off, that is, by implication, to avail. Figuratively, to be satisfied or satisfactory. To be content, to be enough, suffice or be sufficient. Okay. Strength, dunamis. I think we've all heard this word at one point in our Christian walk, dunamis. Uh, a lot of people say this is where we get our English word dynamite. I don't, I don't know for sure how it's very possible. Uh, I haven't looked that up. I haven't followed that through. But, um, but dunamis, uh, again, according to the same um, concise dictionary of the words in the Greek Testament and the Hebrew Bible, is miraculous power, ability, abundance, meaning, might, power, strength, violence, mighty, wonderful, work. Okay? And then uh, the word perfect, teleo. And uh, teleo means to end, that is, 
Complete, execute, conclude, discharge. A debt. Accomplish, make an end, expire, fill up, finish, go over, pay, reform, perform, I'm sorry. The word used as we see it in this passage of scripture means to complete, accomplish of time, or of prophecy. The word teleo is also used in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10, and in this passage it means, for it was fitting that he, that's Christ, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Uh, to consecrate by sufferings to his office and fully qualify and enable him to discharge it. Um, we're going to kind of, I'm still going over teleo because this is a really important word. Uh, teleo, to complete, accomplish, consummate, consecrate, finish, fulfill, make perfect. Also, complete in various applications of labor, growth, mental and or moral character. Completeness of full age, coming of, that means someone coming to be of full age. Um, perfect. And also another form of teleo, telos, uh, to set out for a definite point or goal, properly to a point aim, to point aimed at as a limit. That is, by implication, the conclusion of an act or state, termination, literal, figurative, or indefinite, indefinite results, immediate, ultimate, or prophesied purpose, impost, or levy. Okay, let's look at a couple more words. Weakness, or in some translations you have infirmities. This is the Greek word asthenia. And it means feebleness of body or mind, by implication a malady, moral frailty, disease, infirmity, sickness, or weakness. Um, also can mean strengthlessness, strengthlessness. More feeble, impotent, sick, without strength, weak, Weakness. The word power, again, dunamis. Um, specifically, miraculous power. Usually by implication, a miracle itself. Ability, abundance, meaning, might. Power, strength, violence, might, work. Uh, dunamai, to be able or possible. Uh, can do. Could, may, might, be possible. Be of power. The word content. Eudeico. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a hard one to pronounce. Eudeico. To think well of. That is, approve and act specifically to approbate, formally sanction a person or a thing. And the last word, dunatas, uh, again, just a derivative of dunamis, uh, which means strong. And here we have the meaning powerful or capable. Okay, 
Now, I know you're not going to remember all of that, but I wanted to go over it. And I'm sorry that it took so long, and I'm sorry that it was kind of probably, you might have even blanked out there. But here's what we can, uh, here's what we've, here's what we can do with having defined those words. This is, uh, this is my personal expanded translation of 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and 10 based on the definitions of the, of the key words that we just went over. He said to me, My spiritual endowments are availing for you. My miracle-working power is more perfectly qualified for release through your inability to produce results. Therefore, most gladly, I find a cause for joy in my spiritual impotency that the dynamic, miracle-working power of Christ may dwell within me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my spiritual weaknesses, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, and in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am humanly unable to produce results, then I am divinely powerful and capable of producing results. I feel like I'm going to need I feel like I need to read that again. And again, this is my personal expanded translation of 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. So, you know, please don't like, you know, scratch out the words in your own Bible and write this. Uh because, you know, I'm not a I'm not I don't consider myself to be a very strong uh Greek scholar at all. But here's what I came up with just in defining the key words of that verse. He said to me, and I think this really epitomizes the meaning of that verse. So I don't feel like I'm very, I don't feel like I'm off at all in, in saying this uh, to you. Uh, but again, we never substitute the written word for something that someone else may have said. You know, it's just the same with prophetic words. Uh, if someone gives you a prophetic word and says, Thus saith the Lord, you know, you're going to marry Susie over there within the next six months. Well, you know, the prophet doesn't have to live with Susie after you get married. You do. Uh, so make sure that God said that you were going to marry Susie. And the prophet's word should just be something to confirm what you've already felt and known all along in your spirit. Okay, again, I'm just going to read it again. Here we go. He said to me, My spiritual endowments are availing for you, for my miracle-working power is more perfectly qualified for release through your inability to produce results. Therefore, most gladly, I find a cause for joy in my spiritual impotency that the dynamic, miracle-working power of Christ may dwell within me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my spiritual weaknesses, in reproach reproaches in needs and persecutions and in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am humanly unable to produce results, then I am divinely powerful and capable of producing results. Powerful. Thank you, Jesus. I feel the, I, I just, I feel like when I read that, I get the hairs on my arm stand up. So I hope that the, that the anointing of the scripture and the, at the word itself is is moving in you right now as we speak and talk about this. Um, here's Kenneth. Okay, so if you're not familiar with Wiest, uh, Wiest was a was a wonderful Greek scholar, 
and he translated the uh, the New Testament. He he passed before he was able to translate the Old Testament. Um, but he did complete the New Testament. And here's how Kenneth Wiest translates 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. He's, he's not very well known because he only has the single translation, only the New Testament. But, uh, but he's well known within the scholarly circle, and his, 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 uh, his translation is widely used within the scholarly realms. Um, and he said to me, and his declaration still stands, My grace is enough for you. My grace, <laughs> my grace is enough for you. For power is moment by moment coming to its full energy and complete operation in the sphere of weakness. Therefore, most gladly will I rather boast in my weaknesses in order that the power of Christ, power of the Christ, like the Shekinah glory in the Holy of Holies of the tent of meeting, may take up its residence in me, working within me and giving me help. Wherefore, I am well content to, in weaknesses, in insults, in necessities, in persecutions, and in circumstances under which I am subject to extreme pressure on behalf of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am filled with the ability and power. That's, oh my goodness, praise you, Jesus. That's so good. Paul is essentially saying that he is for, okay, so what is Paul saying in these words? We've just read uh, the the Second uh, uh, Corinthians twelve nine through ten in three different translations. One of those being my own, and Paul Paul is essentially saying that he is formally willing to face all the insurmountable odds which are constantly coming against him with spiritual pleasure. I mean, why would Paul say that? Why would anyone say that they're willing to come uh, to face insurmountable odds? You know, odds that are going to crush them. Odds that they have no skill, strength, or ability to withstand with pleasure. They're going to come against them with pleasure. Why? Paul welcomed being put into situations where he absolutely had to be dependent upon God to prevail for him. Paul also knew that in situations like these, once the power of God was released in and through him, no man could take the glory or credit for the miraculous outcome of the situation. Another passage supporting our interpretation of this text reveals another jewel along with it. Earlier in 2 Corinthians, ver, uh, chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, again in the ESV, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Okay, I got a little rabbit trail I want to take you on. I want you to note... The Greek word used in this scripture for rely, patheo, I'm sorry, uh, patheo, does not of itself hold any great revelations. It simply means to trust. However, the Greek antithesis for this word does have value and treasure. So the, 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 the Greek opposite 
for Patheo. One would naturally assume that the exact opposite of trust is distrust. And in the English, that would be correct. But the word patheo stands in, in antithesis when it is given a negative prefix in the Greek and changed to apatheo. And literally, it's translated to mean to be disobedient. The revelation that we gain here is not that our adversary wants us to doubt or distrust God in a given situation so that we will become disobedient. I'm sorry. The revelation gained here is that our adversary wants us to doubt or distrust God in the situations created by him so that we will become disobedient to God concerning that thing brought into question by our adversary. This gives spiritual forces of evil the victory by simply casting doubt upon what God's voice in our lives, such as Eve in the garden. Did God really say? Did God really say? Satan will always attempt to get us to look at things in the natural. And when we do, then we are disobedient. Jesus, after his baptism, right after he gets baptized, Jesus is getting baptized by John in the Jordan River. Matthew chapter 4, verse 3. The Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus in bodily form like a dove, the scripture says, and that God and that Jesus hears God the Father, speak to him audibly. The people around say that, you know, it thundered or something like that. They don't know what happened because they couldn't understand. They couldn't discern the voice of the, of the, of the you know, the living God. They knew something happened. They just didn't know it was, was spiritual. They didn't know it was God's voice. Jesus could hear God's voice, and he heard him say, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Okay. Well, Right after this, Jesus is led by the, uh, by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And while he's in the wilderness, the devil says to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, turn, you know, cast yourself down from here. And, uh, you know, the angels will, will, will bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. That's a quote from one of the Psalms. If, you, if you're the Son of God, if you're the Son of God, if you're really Him, uh, turn these stones into bread. You know, you're, you're hungry. You've been out here almost 40 days. And, um, you know, God's not going to, I mean, eating is not a sin, is it? Eating is not a sin. So if you're, if you're really the Son of God, Turn these stones into bread and have something to eat. Be disobedient. Look at things in the natural. Listen to my doubting. That's what the devil does. When you get a word from God, I'm just telling you right now, when you get a word from God, you better be ready for a supernatural onslaught that's going to cause you to doubt or attempt to cause you to doubt the very word that God gave you. That's how the enemy operates. That's how he prevents you from entering into the, f the fullness of that prophetic word, of that promise that God gives. If he can make you doubt, if he can make you look at it in the natural, if he can make you become disobedient in the area where God is calling you to be um, obedient and be, uh, you know, um, 
oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, faithful. Then he can he can disrupt. He can circumvent the flow of that word into your life. But if you don't doubt, like Jesus, who quoted scripture in every situation that he was in, that he encountered Satan. It's, it's written, shall not tempt the Lord your God. Okay? I'm not casting myself down off the pinnacle of the temple because it's written that you should not tempt the Lord your God. You know, Satan came at him, hey, you, you know, you're the son of God. Throw yourself down, the angels will carry you. You know what? The angels most likely would have carried, would have uh, uh, intervened and prevented Christ from becoming injured. But he would have been disobedient and he would have had to endure probably that test again to be to be an overcomer. Thank God he was perfect and was able to overcome once and for all with all three of the tests that he faced in the wilderness in addition to all the other tests that he faced throughout his life and ministry. I would suggest to you today that every area of your life where you are disobedient to God right now is not because you do not love Him, but because you do not trust Him in that arena. I want to I submit that statement to you. I, think, I just want you to think about that. Think about the areas of your life where you're disobedient to God. And then think about whether or not your disobedience to God. See, that's the thing I encounter. I see Christians who come for prayer and they say, I've, you know, I've been doing this, been living this way, been having this problem. And it's not so much that these people are bad people. I mean, and none of them woke up one morning and said, you know, I think I'll I think I'll just be disobedient to God and all of the scriptures that I've read and uh, in my lifetime. It's not really what happens. It's uh, what I encounter is is that they, they have doubt. They have doubt in those areas. And the doubt is the antithesis to trust in God. Trusting in God. And in according to Greek, according to the Greek, trusting in God, the antithesis to that is doubt. Doubt produces disobedience. Disobedience interferes with all of God's blessings and the work of His Spirit in your life. Believers can, let's go on to our next section here. Believers can receive grace in vain. What? Believers can receive God's grace in vain? Again, remember, we're not talking today about uh, saving grace, okay? Saving grace is, is categorized separately in theology. Uh, common grace, which can be experienced by both the believer and the unbeliever, uh, is what we are discussing mostly, so to speak. Mostly, okay? Some of what we're talking about ventures into some other areas, but we're not, we're not doing a theology lesson. We're just doing a talk about grace, okay? So, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1. 
We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Uh, the word vain is uh, kenos, and uh, in this verse it literally means to be unaccompanied by the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Wow. <laughs> wow. Do not receive the grace of God in vain. Do not receive God's grace without accompaniment uh, and demonstration of spirit and power. Hebrews 10, 29. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? And now how does someone insult the spirit of grace? Okay, and the spirit of grace, by the way, is the Holy Spirit. Same spirit. By receiving the grace of God in vain. Such was Judas Iscariot who betrayed Christ. Listen to this. Paul is showing us that it is possible to receive the grace of God in vain or without receiving the power of the Holy Spirit to live a victorious life. How many Christians do you know that have received the grace of God, which we usually define as the gift of salvation by unmerited favor, uh, or, uh, and again, so that's saving grace, or common grace also known to all men, whether saved or not. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. But do not live, victori but, but do not live victorious Christian lives. This condition if never corrected under the hand of God's trials, is referred to in Scripture as receiving the grace of God in vain. Okay, let me just, let me go through that again. Paul is showing us, uh, according to Hebrews 10.29, let me just read that again. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. Wow. Paul is showing us that it is possible to receive the grace of God in vain or without receiving the power of the Holy Spirit to live a victorious Christian life. It doesn't mean that, well, let me put the, let me, let me correct you. Uh, I'm sorry, let me correct myself. Paul isn't saying that we can receive a form of God's grace that is um, weak or, un or unable to assist us in our walk in Christ. What he's saying is that God's grace is given freely to all to live the victorious Christian life, and we will be held accountable for it if we do not. How many Christians do you know that have received the grace of God, which we usually define as the gift of salvation through unmerited favor, according to Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. But do not live victorious Christian lives. This condition, if never corrected under the hand of God's trials, is referred to in Scripture as receiving the grace of God in vain. Wow. I'm not sure if I should continue. I feel like I've covered so much already in just a short period of time, but it's a lot to chew on. Uh, I'll do one more section here.
Um, what is grace? What is just you know what is it? What what is great? Let's okay. So we've talked about grace. So let's define it. Let's let's just talk about what it really is. Grace encompasses characteristics, qualities, and attributes of the Holy Spirit, which will grow or increase in a believer's life as the believer grows or increases in their relationship with God. Do you want more of God's grace in your life? Then get to know the spirit of grace. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. That's earnest prayer. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Our point is bringing these two passages of Scripture uh, to light is simply to show that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of grace. Grace is referred to in Scripture as many different things, and all of these things, grace come to us as the result of the action of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit himself is the Spirit of grace. Grace is released through the spoken word of our lips. Listen to this, Zechariah 4, 6-7. All in the English Standard Version. Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a plain, and shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Then you will know the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice. And see and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. All right. Historical background of this scripture. Uh, Approximately 17 to 18 years after Israel returns from Babylonian captivity to the land of Israel, they begin to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. However, the Samaritans and Persians and all other foreign peoples living in that area gathered together to prevent the rebuilding of the temple. They got King Artaxerxes to issue a decree which stopped the rebuilding of the temple for two years. At this point, Haggai and Zechariah start prophesying to the nation of Israel, and when they do, these two men rise up in faith and begin to rebuild the temple. Zerubbabel who is the heir to the throne of Judah and Jeshua, together with the prophets of God, begin rebuilding the temple under inspiration of the prophesied word. 17 to 18 years had elapsed since King Cyrus had originally issued a decree that the temple should be rebuilt by the Jews in the first place. Our point in bringing this scripture to light is to show that what is humanly impossible to accomplish is going to come to pass if we will shout at the mountain and cry out, Grace, grace to it. God tells Zerubbabel in a vision that he will complete the temple in spite of the king's decree to stop its construction. He says to him, You will not do, 
You will not do this by your strength, but by my spirit. Jesus said we would speak to the mountains in Matthew 17 and 20. Quote, For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Unquote. The disciples couldn't cast out de- the demon, and Jesus starts talking about mountains. Okay. Remember when the disciples had gone into the villages in, the, in different areas? Jesus had sent them out with his power and authority. And they came back because there was one uh, demonized man that they could not cast out the demons. And they come back and they ask Jesus why. And then he starts saying, For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Well, because in this scripture, mountains represent obstacles, and often mountains represent governments that are humanly impossible to overcome. However, Jesus was speaking of literal mountains, but uh, in scripture, mountains can refer to governments or uh, impossible situations. Jesus says, speak to this mountain, tell it to move. If the words coming out of your mouth are charged with the power of grace, the mountain will move. Matthew 17, 21 shows us that our words only become effective in the spiritual realm when we have spent time in God's presence through much prayer and fasting. The principle, grace, comes forth through the spoken word of our lips. What we speak can be supernaturally empowered to change the world around us. This kingdom dynamic should be practiced especially when things are happening which are in direct opposition to the will of God and His kingdom. More references to the principle, to this principle. Let no corrupt, here's Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good and necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, to the hearers. Oh, so I can impart grace into someone's life by what I speak? According to Ephesians 4.29, Yes, you can. You can impart grace. Think about that. Grace. Supernatural, abundant power, authority, dynamic, spiritual, uh, miracle-working affluence into someone's life by the things that come out of your mouth. I think this is the verse. I think this is why Scripture also tells us that we'll be held accountable for every word, every idle word spoken. I mean, it's just amazing. Colossians four and six. Let not. I'm sorry. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Um. What? Wait a minute. My conversation always to be seasoned with salt. Full of grace. Hmm, full of grace, seasoned with salt. Do you know that uh, in, in Old Testament times, salt was actually a form of currency? Uh, you have to have salt in your body in order to live. And mining salt in the Old Testament was extremely difficult. Um, and so... Uh, most men, especially people who were on a journey, 
had a bag of salt tied to the to their waistband, and so uh, so that they could season their their food or and or so that they could um, barter or you know trade with others who were coming in the opposite direction. Let your speech be. Uh, let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer everyone. Wow. Okay, some other scriptures you can look at that confirm this point. Psalms 45, verse 2, Proverbs 1, 8 through 9, and also 22, 11, Acts 14, 3, and 20, verse 32, Romans 12, 3, and Colossians 3.16. Okay, um, let me just uh, scroll through here. I have a section that I want to pass over. All right, let me. I'm just going to read a few scriptures off to you. Agent, the grace is grace is the agent by which the law is satisfied and fulfilled. Okay, Galatians two twenty one. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Okay, well, what are we supposed to take away from that? Righteousness comes through grace. Uh, Galatians 5 and 4. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. Wow. Okay. So it's grace that gets us connected to Christ. And, you know, here's the thing. Uh, I, I was, uh, this, this is powerful. I had a professor once who said that, uh, and when he said this, man, it hit me, hit me like a, uh, like a trebuchet. I, I, um, Satan is the most legalistic being in the, in all of creation. So if you want to follow the letter of the law and the, and the legalistic route of Christianity, you're going to be miserable, you're going to fail, and you're going to be estranged from Christ. But if you if you follow, uh, if, if if you go after grace, if you just go after grace, not only will you obtain grace, but you'll also fulfill the law. As a natural, I'm going to say it like this: as a natural byproduct of your pursuit. That's pretty cool. That that oh my goodness! Thank you, Jesus. That's really powerful. That's really powerful. I'm going to say that again. If you go after the law, Satan is the most legalistic being in all of creation. He's going to be right there on your shoulder, telling you. When you messed up, and I mean, I'm talking about every, it is going, you tied your shoe wrong, you rolled out of bed the wrong way. I mean, you know, it's not going to just be big sins that you might uh, be guilty of. It's going to be everything, every minute, every second of your existence. You did this wrong. You don't meet the, the measure. You don't meet the measure. You don't measure up. You don't. You can't have a relationship with Christ because you did this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, and uh, you're going to be messing up again here in about five minutes. But if you go after grace, if you go after grace, wow, what a pleasure. 
What a pleasure it is to just go after grace, the spirit of grace. If I just go after the Holy Ghost, if I just tell him I'm so weak, man, I'm, 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 uh, I'm impotent, spiritually impotent. I got nothing. I got nothing. But I'm coming to you today and I'm asking for help. You're going to end up developing a closeness with Christ and you're going to inadvertently end up fulfilling the law as a natural byproduct of your relationship with God and His Word. Whew! Ha-ha! That's good stuff. I like it. Okay. Um, you can also check out Romans 6, 14 through 15, John 1, 14 through 17, Romans 4 and 4, and also 16, and Romans 11, 5 through 6. Um, I'm just looking here because I've got so much in my notes. Okay, I think I'll, I'll end on this on this here. I think I'll end here. Uh, humility is essential in receiving God's grace. Proverbs 3, 34. Surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. James 4 and 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter 5, 1 Peter 5, 5, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So since grace is such a powerful thing, great humility is required to carry great amounts of grace. When we understand that it is the grace of God which is giving us any success or producing any results, then we will not err in pride or receive any of the glory. John 3.30, He must increase, but I must decrease. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 15-10, I'm sorry, 15 and 10, talking about God allowing us to fail as much as we need so that we understand that when we do succeed, it is not us succeeding, but Christ's grace within us bringing success. So check that one out as well. Uh, just finish. I'm just going to scroll through to the end of my notes. Okay. Um, look, I know that we didn't, you know, we didn't get into the theology uh, of grace itself. I mean, what we did here today was just basically glossing over what grace is and is not. And essentially we, for the most part, excluded the grace of salvation and looked at uh, all other forms of grace. Um, I hope you like this podcast. My name is Darren Brogan, and I hope to do more podcasts like it here in the near future. Um, if you do like this, uh, please share it with your friends so that they can um, pull it up and you know, truthfully, the thing is, I want to, I want to, um, I want to approach God's word without the um, boy, without the the institutionalized Christianity restraints 
Does that make sense? Uh, church today is, has, has become institutionalized in America. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not bad to be a member uh, of, of a church. Uh, you should be. Um, because it gives you the opportunity to fellowship with other Christians. But just make sure that if you do, um, you know, become a member of a church, that you're not um, in, involved with a church where uh, they're browbeating you or, you know, telling you you got to live this way. You know, it, it, the Holy Spirit tell look, Holy Spirit's put his finger on stuff that ain't nobody ever said knew was going on in my life okay so preacher don't have to come back to my pew and pull me out and say you you know you're doing this and you're doing that i mean uh, maybe that should happen for a person here or there i don't know but i'm just saying we all know what we're doing that we're, that's wrong we all know um and i just hope that uh that people can hear these podcasts uh receive the word of god in an uncensored and, you know, um, unimpeded method and that it brings, uh, that it brings uh, value to their life. Um, in the future, I will be getting more, uh, more theological on you, but I promise to keep it, uh, you know, keeping it real, you know, so, so to speak. Um, I promise to keep it real, keep it, you know, uh, even if I do get uh, theological, I promise to keep it uh, uh, understandable. Now, I'm not trying to say or, you know, teach anything that's over anyone's head. Uh, truth be told, I'll have to study up um, before I even teach in that fashion. So um, let's just journey together. I hope we journey together. I love you. I hope uh, that God blesses your life. Father, I just pray for each of the listeners. ask that you would bless them. ask that you would draw them near to you. ask that you would open the eyes of their understanding. Cause the glorious light of the gospel to shine upon them. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, just be present in their life in every way. Uh, I thank you for the goodness uh, that you've shown to me which I did not deserve, the mighty grace of salvation, which I did not deserve, and, um, and all of the grace thereafter. <laughs> so we just bless your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening, folks.